0: homeschooling isn't just about education it's about your kids it's about your family and it's about a lifestyle hi my name is jackie and i'm the founder of homeschool think tank the homeschool think tank parenting podcast is about community family education and life i believe that these are the things that matter to homeschool families tune in each week and let's talk I'll bring you a message from my heart, an expert interview, or an interview with the ultimate homeschooling experts, homeschool families like yours. Remember to check the link in the show notes below and you'll find an article that corresponds with this episode. Finally, remember to visit homeschoolthinktank.com for more information about how we serve homeschooling families. All right, let's get started with this week's episode. Before we get started, I want to let you know that you can get more information about anything mentioned in this interview in the show notes below. And that link is homeschoolthinktank.com slash interviews. So a little bit about David Lee Sisko. David is sort of a big deal. He is like this world-renowned illustrator of a couple of children's books and uh, I would say sort of famous artist. <laughs> but I think you're going to enjoy this interview. You're going to sort of learn a lot about how he was inspired. And I think you can carry that forward as a parent to inspire your own children. We talk a little bit about how the school system really isn't set up to nurture people who maybe aren't super strong in what schools expect but how his mother did nurture him and also you are going to get some excellent ideas they're mine but they are good ideas of how you can use this book to lead a homeschooling group or even integrate it into your weekly lessons over the course of a year as you homeschool your children And the book we're specifically referring to is called Science People, but we also mentioned another one of the books that he has illustrated in here. So enjoy. So today I am interviewing David Lee Sisko, and he is the author of at least a couple of children's books, The Skin That You Live In and Science People. And so today we're going to talk about those and sort of the messages he's trying to share within these books so my name is Jackie and I am the host of the homeschool think tank parenting podcast and I am also the host of the homeschool think tank video channel where so wherever you may be seeing this video and David welcome to the podcast I'm glad to have you
1: thank you thank you let me just clarify I'm the illustrator of those books yes
0: I know this
1: yeah (laughs)
0: Thank you. There is a difference. A there difference. is a difference. So who wrote the books then?
1: What so his, so um, what the, the, first, the first book, uh, which I illustrated, was The Skin You Live In, which is now in its 19th printing. It's, it's, it's oh, done really, really wow. well and was recently translated. We translated into Spanish, and which is available, I think, online. And um, uh, over the summer, we, we translated into French. That book was written by um, Michael Tyler, a Chicago author who wrote the book um, a long time ago, 19 years ago. Uh, He's African-American, was married to a Caucasian woman and had a mixed race child, and their child was getting picked on at school for being mixed race. And so he wanted to write a delightful book about racial acceptance that takes out all politics and is a fun read for parents, but it talks about skin color in positive ways, comparing skin to pumpkin pie, um, a- apples, uh, birthday cake, things like that, things that kids love. And it's a very fun book that has done really, really, really well. And, um, and then recently I illustrated um, a book called Science People Uh, which is 50 fun portraits of people in the sciences uh, starting way back in history uh, to the present. So it's a historical look at science with the famous people you know, and then um, a survey of people in science from all over the world who are doing interesting things in science from, and they live in different countries.
0: Oh, how fun. So I have not looked at science people yet because I actually thought when I when we booked the interview that this has not come out yet. Here's oh, thank go. you for showing it. Yes, I love it. And do you have a copy of the skin that you live in handy? Like I, I,
1: I ran upstairs and I, <laughs> I think I, I gave my my last home <laughs> copy to someone who who needed it. So sadly, I don't have it. but It's not um, funny. It's a very fun book and. Uh-huh. Uh, just remember the skin you live in you can get it on Amazon you can get it at yeah. lots of bookstores
0: yeah and i always include uh for anybody who's new to this podcast or video channel a link that goes with the interview that i share it will be right in the show notes of the podcast or so the description of so the youtube and you can find everything you need right there i I do a little bio about you and any links that are relevant in this podcast episode, just so everyone knows that. Excellent. So, so David, what inspired, well, tell me more about science people where you really started that from and how you brought that forward and how you chose some of the characters in the book, you know, the representations, how that went out exactly.
1: Uh, So, I was a a student who went to public school and um, I always enjoyed the sciences. Um, Everything from learning the basic stuff about like human anatomy and um, simple things that you're taught in grade school, which actually I I don't remember what that was now because it was a really, really long time ago. But one of the things that I remember vividly was when I was in high school, um, I had a wonderful high, uh, high school teacher who took us um, to the Natural History Museum in Chicago and basically gave us a list of 25 questions that we had to run around the museum and get the answers. And that made learning really, really fun and exciting. And also I've always been in love with with museums since I was a a young lad. Uh, My parents, neither of my parents went to college, but they loved going to museums. And so I visited the, I grew up outside of Chicago in Hammond, Indiana, and in Chicago, where, is it, where I live now, um, has some great museums. We have the um, uh, uh, Museum of Science and Industry, um, which is all about technology and uh, science, but, but also looking at industry and technological advances. And then we have the Field Museum of Natural History, which is a collection of, of natural history. and. Um, amazing exhibits, um, dioramas, um, covering everything that's all about natural sciences. And uh, anyway, so I always had a fondness for that. And um, a while back, I started doing portraits of composers. And then I got a request to do a portrait of an architect um, who practiced out of Chicago, Frank Lloyd Wright. And there was a big success with the image did of Frank Lloyd Wright, because I really believe that the, 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 as an artist and illustrator, you can bring your own thoughts to the table. You can you can bring your contribution. To me, it's all about contributions and the importance of imagination. So when I drew the image of Frank Lloyd Wright, I made his um, what he was wearing look like one of his stained glass windows or shapes that are reminiscent of Frank Lloyd Wright buildings that you see in his designs. And it, it was received really nicely. So. Um, I wound up being at a, at a party for the um, Museum of Science and Industry, which was celebrating um, the, there was there was a big exhibition a really long time ago um, to celebrate at the time, <laughs> this would not be celebrated today, but celebrated was the 500th anniversary of, Chicago, of, of Columbus Discovering America, which was the Columbian exhibition of 1890, let's say it's 1895. Um, But uh, Frank Lloyd Wright worked on that, several architects. And so the museum asked me to celebrate the key figures from the exhibition, because it's always being looked at as being an important. It was the first world, one of the first world fairs where people from all over (coughs) came, came together. And that then turned into a relationship with the Museum of Science and Industry, who said, why don't you draw six really famous scientists so we we started with einstein and madame curie um stephen hawking uh the list goes on and on and on and then i enjoyed doing it and so when COVID happened um and i was at home i would just randomly think i wonder who's the most famous scientist from mexico and i would look up I would just type in as a search famous scientist from Mexico Mexico, and I would find someone. The same thing with India and South Africa and Thailand and Japan and China, um, the Middle Eastern countries. And I started building this portfolio of people in science from around the world. And um, I met with a publisher who got really excited about the project. So together between the publisher's team and myself, we came up with a list of 50 people to celebrate. So,
0: people from different countries and maybe from some countries we haven't even really heard of those people, am I right?
1: Correct, 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 yeah. It, the book really tries to be very inclusive um, I love that. and also sort of tell the story of, the, of each individual scientist who Um, the, um, author of the science book, um, those are written by Lindsay, um, Lindsay Sinclair. And, um, uh, what we found fascinating was that what was amazing about some of these scientists is that they necessarily were not the best student in their youth, (laughs) or maybe they dropped out of school or they pursued a bunch of different things, but eventually they, they wound up in the sciences. So a, a really interesting person to me, who's fascinating, who a lot of young people, especially children adore, is Sue Hendrickson, who was the paleontologist who found the largest T-Rex skeleton. And um, she found it uh, out west, and um, it is, has been put back together and is on display at the Field Museum of Natural History and is their number one draw for young people to see. It's beloved, it's beloved. If you haven't been to Chicago, come to the Field Museum and go see, it's nicknamed Sue after her, after Sue Hendrickson. So it's called Sue the T Rex. But Sue Hendrickson um, was not the perfect student. She was not the straight A student. She in fact dropped out of high school, um, didn't like it, and then took up scuba diving and then was diving on on wrecks and finding sunken treasure. Somehow that led her to working with um, paleontologists and she went into the field of paleontology and then went on this dig and she discovered this amazing find, which was this great big dinosaur skeleton perfectly intact, which was the first time that that they had found one that big. So I think she's really fascinating that here's this woman who has an interesting path and I think for young people today, cause not everyone fits those boxes. No one, not everybody is a straight A student um, and everyone has vary, varying challenges. Um, but what but, but the book celebrates is, is what these people did, which makes them interesting. And, and it celebrates their contribution to the world. They've, they've all done something that has made the world a better place.
0: I love this and uh... The whole T-Rex thing for a moment. I last summer we went to Museum of the Rockies in Bozeman, and they have one of. I thought it was the largest T-Rex, but maybe I'm remembering wrong.
1: But it,
0: it's a very large and very impressive. Oh, cool, cool.
1: <laughs> so yeah, so I also so, the, also I, the book, um, the science book has more women than men scientists. Um, okay, now
0: was that intentional or just it, the way it, it turned it, out?
1: It, it was just because um, for a long time, women had been left out of the picture. And so mm-hmm. we we're trying to right that, that wrong. So um, I wanted to show you, I don't know if you can see it. But, yes, I can. Okay, so that, is, this is Mary Anning, or Awning Anning, Anning um, who found the first marine dinosaur skeletons. And Uh because she was a woman, she didn't get credit. Um, The- When was that? Pardon?
0: When was that? What year? This
1: is, um, she she lives from, she's very, very old. This is from 1799. She she was born in 1799 and died in 1847. And she lived on the coast of England, but uh, women were not allowed to join the archeological societies of Great Britain, even though she was finding all of these things on her own, men were able to take the credit, which, which, which sadly happened quite a lot. Um, there's another, anyway, but she celebrated in the book and there's actually, a, I think there's a, a movie or two about her. She's really quite fascinating. So she found this marine um, sea sort of dinosaur, marine mammal um, skeleton on, on, the, on the coast of England.
0: Okay. So your book is to, it seems like both of your books are a lot about celebrating diversity in various, you know, illustrating people in say the skin that you live in of all all different colors and in the science people celebrating science. Yes. But we're also making a point to recognize women, men, people of various um, origins and cultures basically. Yes. Yeah. So that we're really just sort of showing that we're all capable of yes. doing yeah. these great things.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and um, in the science book, um, so I'm going to show you a picture. Um, so, so with the image of Galileo, mm-hmm. he is looking at a telescope because he is credited for being one of the first people to develop the telescope,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, which goes which in Galileo lived in the 15, He well, he died in 1642 and okay. um, he was a big thinker and um, in the time that he lived in was very conservative times that uh, it was controlled by the church. And so being the Catholic church in Rome, so his findings were then taken beyond the borders of the Roman, Holy Roman empire and wound up in the Netherlands that was, um, Protestant. And so they have that that, all of his findings were sort of celebrated there, even though he was a man of the Renaissance. um, Times are changing all the time as Mm -hmm. we as we live in changing times here. It's all relevant. It's it's very Mm -hmm. relevant to uh, the bigger picture.
0: Yeah. Well, what I like about this uh, for homeschooling parents is you can actually, especially with science people, it seems like you can use that book as a springboard exactly. for a lot of other, say, unit studies. Yeah. Yeah. Or just you can really integrate a lot of history with the science. Exactly. I, I see a lot of ways that a parent could take this book and use it to just help garner interest in other areas for your children. And even let's say you lead a homeschooling group or something like that, you could probably structure an entire year's worth of curriculum for that group around this book. You could really focus on one person every single week. How many people are illustrated again? 50. 50. I mean, how perfect is that? (laughs) You might not even be able to complete it all in a year if you just chose one person a week, but you could literally integrate geography into this. By looking at where the person comes from, you could do writing topics around it. Your students could do their own art projects around this. Like, you know, David, I don't know how much you know about homeschooling, but there are lots of different books where people, homeschooling parents, take the the book and create an entire unit or curriculum around this you could litter this book and hand <laughs> make it for people because it's really interesting and yeah. I think I I do like the approach with this and how you're just sharing about all types of people and it's it is very inclusive and I like it's that very inclusive,
1: and also what's unique about the book
0: mm-hmm. is
1: that each scientist is pictured with a tool that they have, that they may have used or something that relates to their scientific field. So in uh, Louis Pasteur, who is credited, credited as sort of the father of vaccines, um, I actually looked up his actual microscope and did research to find what it looked like. And so um, it's, I've redrawn it right there. So in, a, in all of the pictures, it usually includes, so like Thomas Edison has the first light bulb. So mm-hmm. the book is meant to be to make education fun, but to, to uh, um, so like Madame Curie, who discovered uranium, which is green, she's wearing a green outfit, she's looking at uranium, and um, sadly, um, she, she, she died from too much exposure to uranium. So um, everything, everything, all the pictures are, are intended to inspire a young person to read further, that, that, that I'm trying to um, invite your imagination that if you find a picture interesting, you'll want to read the, the short bio about the person
0: yeah i uh, my mind is just like going a hundred miles an hour as i'm looking at these pictures so i'm thinking like for a homeschooling parent depending on the age of the child you're reading this book too if i were to take this book and let's say they were maybe upper elementary i honestly would want to read the book the text to the child before they look at the picture i would look at it myself read it and i wouldn't even let him see the cover of your book initially and say all right let's try to draw this picture and because you have your very own style and for anybody who's listening to this just on the podcast you've got to go watch this video i will have the link in the podcast description because david has a very unique uh style But then I like to get your kids to just sort of like, try to imagine this, draw it for yourself. And now let's look at the picture because every child has their own style. Yes. You know, now with a younger child, I would just do it right away. Just like, let's, it's a picture book, you know? But then I'm like, you could use this to help your kids. Like, okay, what kind of art project do you want to make around this? Do you want to do a diorama, a painting? Do you want to do graphic design on the computer to do this yourself? You know, Um, like this, I, I love this. I'm just looking at this and the wheels are turning as to how parents could really take this book and use it for so much more. Because I mean, there's, you could literally, you know, there are books about all of these people. You could find age appropriate books for your kids, help them. You could, they could even just choose just a few of the people and really dive deep, but you never know, um, where your book will just help open up, uh, exploration. I can, the author is slipping my mind right now, but I know, oh, in my, is it thir- the 39 clues books? Uh, The, um, my daughter, when my oldest daughter, especially when she was younger, she loved books and there was a lot of history involved. And I cannot even begin to tell you the trail she went down because a book inspired her to want to learn more about that. And there's no, you know, this is exactly the same. Yeah. Where It's the book is an inspiration point. It's not an ending point.
1: Um, so uh, I was going to, I'm going to show you another picture. Um, so, so Ozak Izu, who is a young scientist, Mm. uh, who grew up in Nigeria and, um, where, uh, the electricity wasn't consistent where she lived in, in the small town she lived in, in Nigeria, the power would go out and her parents were both very bright doctors but her grades weren't good enough to get into medical school. But her wish was that she could watch TV without the power going out. So she studied natural power and natural energy. So um, she's a scientist of windmills and hydro energy that just takes advantage of what's happening in the world to create energy. And and Mm -hmm. I I find that really fascinating. It's something I think young people would really relate to because it, it was just, it came out of a, she used her imagination and her knowledge to satisfy a practical need. She, she wanted to watch TV more often and not have the power grass so the TV would die. But um, uh, so, so the book is filled with, with people like that who wound up being on this rather extraordinary path and pursued their interests. Um, and and being, me being an artist, um you are met with 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 not everything goes according to plan not everything always works out you don't get I don't get every project that I apply for but when I do they're amazing projects I'm very fortunate um I do all kinds of things like public art um I design mosaics that are a public train station but I you've
0: been a- recognized like yeah with the White House so yeah they're, yeah they're, yeah know.
1: Yeah, and, David and,
0: Lee, Cisco is pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I've discovered. But, but You're it, but a big it, deal, David.
1: Oh, thanks, but, but it all has really come from the cool things that I get to do are because I follow up on my interests. So um, how this whole whole book came to be was that someone at the Museum of Science and Industry said, why don't you draw six portraits of famous scientists. And together we came up with what that list was. That was in a springboard to being appreciated. And then when I sort of was discovered by by this publisher, who is, the the books are published by Trope, T-R-O-P-E books. Mm -hmm. And it was actually a man I worked with a really long, I won't say how long ago, but it was a long time ago. Um, There used to be a famous department store in Chicago called Marshall Fields that sadly doesn't exist anymore, but he was an art director there and I did um, illustrations for ads for Marshall Fields. And uh, he went on to another job before the computer was invented. That's impossible to to comprehend that there was a time before computers, but, um, and it was also before cell phones. So uh, a year ago, March, not this March, but the previous March, he found me out of the blue and said, "Um, I'm publishing books and my wife and I were talking and we thought you probably have some things you'd love to publish. And I said, I have this whole series of portraits, portraits of people in different fields. So our, um, we just finished a book. We also, the first book was um, LGBTQ people in the arts, which is um, 50 people um, who, Happened to have been LGBTQ um, and created to, contributed to arts and culture. And then the science book was, was the next project. We're currently working on a, um, uh, a book on the history of classical music um, and also being with the effort to be more inclusive. So in classical music, it's mostly old white European men, but we are showcasing lots of women um, from all over the world, uh, classical music is is a field that is really um, trying to catch up and be much more inclusive. So they're not just programming um, music of Beethoven, Bach, and Brahms. Now they're they're uh, there, there was there was this amazing um, African American woman named Florence Price who actually was from Chicago, lived in Chicago, and um, she's been dead for a while now, but she's sort of having this renaissance where they're finding scores of pieces of music that this African-American woman wrote and it's being performed in concert halls and on the radio. And so the book is another wonderful pairing of helping young people learn more about these amazing people who are contributing to the world or, or if they've died, they contributed to the world back in their day. And then we're working on a book on people in fashion and then architects and writers and the list just keeps sort of going, but they're really, um, they're very inclusive. And and my goal as an artist is to make the pictures really engaging mm-hmm. that, that you'll, you'll want to, um, I'm laughing because my dog is playing with a bone upstairs. I can, I can hear, it. hear it. I can <laughs> hear it. I'm so sorry about that. It's um, okay.
0: I'm glad you acknowledged it though, because then when people listen on the podcast, yeah, yeah. they're like,
1: what? yeah, I, I have, I have, I have a, a little dachshund who's blonde, 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 cream-colored dachshund, very short legs, but um, is a puppy. And if I have a Zoom call, he gets really jealous and is. is barking all the time and just being uh, uh, impossible. So I, I, he's upstairs. You know what?
0: Dogs and kids happen on this podcast from Okay, great. Nine, so
1: no okay. worries. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I, I love drawing. And um, I'm an example of, of someone who luckily was encouraged um, all the time, I was very bright, but I was dyslexic. Um, so being able to write, I suffered horribly in in math. That's why I'm so glad it's not just STEM, but it's STEAM that they've added the arts into into learning. Because because I was the art kid that the arts saved me, and um, uh, I, I was the kid that won poster contests all the time. I I was very good at drawing. It came to me naturally, but you have to work at it. You have to train. I went to art school, but also my interest in other things like music and science have led me to earning a living doing just that sort of using that as what I draw. Like I draw every single day. It's like training for the Olympics. You have to practice, practice, practice. And also it's also for homeschool parents it's about solving problems in a creative way. So when I work on large-scale projects, I just finished a wonderful project for a public school in, uh, outside of Chicago in Manetka. But it's this public school that has an interesting program. It goes from K to uh, fourth grade. But, but what's interesting about it, which is something that homeschool parents could, could do something similar, is that at this school, the third graders teach the second graders about the bird, about birds, the birds of Illinois. So that was something we wanted to celebrate with this mosaic mural. So I drew, let's say, I drew seven different birds, um, and uh, I had lots of conversations with the art teacher, with the principal, about what would be appropriate to to draw and make this all work. And so then I had, so the name of the school is Greeley Elementary, which begins with a G. So I drew a large topiary G. So topiary is when you make a bush or a tree take on a shape. Like you can shape it in the shape of a dinosaur or a heart or a star or circles. But this is a is the capital G with leaves in it and then branches and there are birds flying around it. So they're very big. So there's a blue jay, a cardinal, um, an owl. Uh, there's a little graduation bird with a mortar board. A mortar board is what um, kids wear when they graduate, special kind of hat with a tassel. So that's on the top of the tree. But um, it was a matter of, of, of figuring out how to communicate, which is sort of the basis of what I do all the time is good, clear communication. So that in my pictures, you get a sense of what I'm thinking. And, and I, and I wanna communicate that. I hope, I hope that makes sense, but yes. it's the kind of, but, but that to me was such a good uh, problem that it had to be solved. How can I show the birds of Illinois? I don't have to draw them so that they're identical or that they're realistic. I, they're based on the shapes that make up the bird. The Cardinal has an interesting shape. The Blue Jay is blue and has an interesting shape. So um, sort of studying and looking up what these birds look like and then breaking them down into simple shapes that communicate, oh, that's, that's, that's a blue jay, that's a cardinal. And it's the kind of thing that a third grader would then take a second grader and point to everything and tell them what the birds are. So I know within that is something that parents homeschooling could come up with a similar project that they can get older kids to teach younger kids and sort of share the excitement of that, dis- that discovery of learning.
0: Absolutely. You know, David, because you are so about diversity and inclusion and all of those things, this is something I've often said is, um, it's like we celebrate all things diverse except the way people learn in our education system. It historically has been pretty exclusive. Like I excelled in the education system because I'm really good at the things they want you to be good at. However, my younger sister really struggled because she is probably a whole lot more like you. So creative, like she can draw anything. She should be an illustrator for Hallmark, right? She makes beautiful cakes. She has gifts that the public education education system historically does not celebrate. And that's something I try to help encourage homeschooling parents to do is reckon, it, recognize that your children have different gifts and they may not be what we have been trained as a society to value.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And and the, but the one thing that I found fascinating is like working on a big public art project like the, the school project I just told you about, mm-hmm. um, it, it also ties into math in, yes. in an interesting way. It's like, I have to take measurements. I have to draw it to scale. Then um, I'm given, then I have to come up with how much is this going to cost? Sometimes people already know we have X amount of dollars to spend on this. And then I have to figure out, can I get people to work? So, so that at the end of the day, we're at the same number. Often we're not. So I'll have to say, you know, I need five thousand dollars more to complete this task, and so it's it's about it becomes a math story problem. Mm-hmm. You know, um, how much do five apples and three oranges cost? And I, I just keep thinking that I, I'm a living math story problem all the time. That that even though I'm just making a picture, it goes beyond that. That I have I have math. I have to use math and and make sure that everything adds up. Uh, at the end of the day, and that's that's a big challenge. And then, and then also, what's also really important is being able to express yourself. Which, which thankfully, I'm very, good, very good at talking and trying to distill it down to its simplest, the simplest way to say something to get the point across, even if the point may be a stretch of the imagination. And I think because of the fact that I'm challenged by uh, be, being dyslexic, that writing certain things becomes complicated. Um, that in speaking, I, I try to, to speak in, in a really clear manner, but get various points across, but, but do it in, a, in an inclusive way that, that hopefully we're, we're on the same path. You're, you're, you're understanding what I'm saying and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also something that gets left out, especially like in the world of art, it becomes a world of giant words, words that the average person doesn't know what they mean. And so to me, I'm like, throw that away. Let's, let's, let's make this accessible for more people and figure out how to talk about something that's really complex in a simpler, more understandable form, and then see where it goes. See, like these books are meant to be um, a conversation starter or a project start, right? As you suggest that uh, they can be used at, in, in various ways, to sort of spread education and, um, and make it as accessible to a variety of students.
0: Yes, David, can I ask you, we didn't plan on this, but can I ask you a little bit about your history and how you, like your experience in school and um, how you evolved as an artist? Because now I'm getting more about, you're really curious. And I have to think other people might be too
1: us? Uh, sure. so, sure, of course. Okay. Course,
0: so, of course. so what really got you like at what age did you like start identifying as sort of as an artist? Like you just like loved to draw or paint or early, what, early. what is your base medium? Drawing mostly? I'm
1: mostly, thinking. yeah. Mostly mostly it's it's making sketches. Um, so so just to quickly tell you how I how I, the process of, of making these books is yeah. um, It's very easy because of google and various search engines Mm -hmm. at the computer you just type in what did madame curie look like marie curie what did she look like and you you see pictures so then i'll i'll study the various pictures i'll look at her tools i was very interested in the tools used in the sciences um and then i'll just make quick sketches with a pencil so i'm really good at drawing very very quickly and um and then once I have a sketch that I like, um, I develop this very simple process of taking a picture of my sketch with my iPhone and then sending that photo to my computer. And then I open up the program I work in, which is a Macintosh program called Illustrator. And um, I import the sketch. I make it a sub layer that I can't really touch. And then I build the illustration on top of it, and then when I've got it to where I want, where I want it, then I get, I, I, I say goodbye to the sketch, and then I just go to town and, and fill it in with shapes, shapes and colors and blends and, um, but but it's that sort of like starting with a quick rough sketch that I can do sometimes in a matter of seconds or less than a minute, and and then I just sort of go to town and and start building it. But I was a kid that loved drawing early, early, early on. Um, I was always good at it. Uh, and I was encouraged, which, which, was, which was wonderful. So- Who encouraged you? Uh, I would say my mom was really encouraging um, the most. And, and then, uh, so I started off, uh, both of my parents were um, uh, they, uh, immigrant, immigrant, immigrant children. My, my dad's parents were from Hungary. And so my mother's family was from Poland. So um, they grew up in small Polish and Hungarian neighborhoods, and they went to the to the um, they went to Catholic school. So they thought, let's put him in Catholic school because that's what we did. And so when I got to Catholic school, it was the height of the baby boom, and so there were seventy five kids in a class as opposed to twenty five or whatever is considered. The ideal thing and i was drowning because i wasn't i wasn't i was dyslexic but they didn't know what that was so the nuns would say well we'll draw a picture and so i would draw really elaborate pictures when everyone else is drawing something simple and then my parents said this is so expensive to go here it's free to go to public school so in public school um there was a bigger art program and and i just would like win the poster contest win the science fair because the drawing was so good. And so I was always encouraged and encouraged. And then um, uh, when I was in high school, I I participated in theater and um, I just one day said, I'd like to design the set. And I didn't know how to do this, but I figured it out. And the, the, the teachers there sort of worked with me. And so I was designing these big productions from props to scenery to, a sketch of what I thought the color of the costume should be. And then I went to art school. I went to the Cleveland Institute of Art, which is based on um, at the time when I went there, there was a, a art school in Germany um, before World War II called the Bauhaus. And the Bauhaus thought that all artists should have a very varied background to be able to work in steel or metal or cloth and fabric, um, graphic design, illustration, paintings. So the school was sort of very based in all of the various forms of art. And so I got to dapple in a bunch of these things. And then when I got out of school, uh, I started uh, designing ads for different companies and different projects. And I became known as the, as the visual problem solver. If somebody said, well, I don't, know, I don't know what the right solution is, let's call David Lee Sisko because he's, he's, he's a good thinker. And, um, but also I bring my joy, joy and love of drawing to to all the projects that I do. And then also I just was very curious. So one day someone said, hey, could you design a mosaic? And I said, sure I can. And so then I I went about trying to learn about how to work in mosaics and meeting various people who did mosaics. Same thing with designing stained glass windows. Um, I found, I, I did a couple of designs and then I worked with a stained glass maker who then built the windows, but I learned along the way of how what's the best way to, to design for that medium, which is which is a learning skill and a and you have to sort of get over this giant hill to get to the other side where you're comfortable and flexible and able to work in that medium. So I've always been um, always interested in things.
0: I love this, David. David, I want to be respectful of your time. So we'll go ahead and wrap it up, but uh, would would you hold your book up one more time, sure. for science people? That way, on the video, people know what they're looking for. This is science people, and who's the actual author again?
1: The actual author is Lindsay Sinclair, Lindy Sinclair, not Lindsay, Lindy Sinclair.
0: Lindy Sinclair, uh, and then uh, David Lee Cisco is clearly yeah, yeah. So we're both we're
1: both called the author of the book, but but she yeah. she wrote the biographies.
0: I understand what you mean. Yeah. So that is fantastic, David. I want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I love the message that you're sharing. And, you know, I do hope, you know, parents will embrace this and carry it forward and share it with others. So thank you again, David.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Um, Wonderful to be uh, sharing time with you today. Thank you.
0: I hope that you enjoyed my interview with David Lee Sisko and his book is called Science People. You can find more information about David. You can watch the video and get his books at homeschoolthinktank.com interviews hashtag David Lee. And again, you can find that link in the show notes below. Now, before we go, I want to really encourage you to look not only at David's book as inspiration as you maybe lead a homeschooling group or you are simply homeschooling your children from home, but to look at books as inspiration and as a springboard to make education more fun, learning more fun. And to help you think outside of the box. Because when you can do that and just open up your mind, you are an example of how people learn, how we can take anything in this world and learn more from it. All right, live and learn your way. My name is Jackie and I am your host of the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast. Bye-bye. I want to say thank you for listening to the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd like to ask you to take a moment to follow this podcast and share it with a friend. Remember to check the show notes for a link to the article that corresponds with this podcast episode. In this article, we'll include any links that we mentioned in this episode. And remember that you can search all of the Homeschool Think Tank parenting podcast episodes at homeschoolthinktank.com.